0: You're listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week, Brother Keith continues our journey through John's gospel with the supremacy of Jesus Christ from John 3, 22 through 36. If you were here last week, uh, we looked at Nicodemus is meeting with Jesus. And we talked about what Jesus told Nicodemus and He tells everyone that you need a new life. and This new life comes by faith in Jesus. And with that new life, we have new purpose, new meaning, new goals, new motives, and everything changes because of the new life that Jesus gives us. And not only life here, but eternal life. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. John's Gospel as we're going through it, this is the last uh, mention of John the Baptist in John's Gospel. And he leaves no doubt concerning his view of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. No doubt at all. And in this passage, we'll see three things that Jesus is supreme because of where He came from, because of His divine testimony, and because of His authority and power. Would you pray with me? Our Father, my prayer is that Jesus would be glorified. That in this sermon, from Your Word, that You would exalt Your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would move in our hearts, open minds and open hearts, and help us to see Jesus. And it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Well, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Cliff has already read the passage. So I want to just jump in there. Verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and His disciples went out into the Judean countryside where He spent some time So Jesus had been in Jerusalem. He left with His disciples going north toward Samaria. And that's where we'll see um, in chapter 4, the woman at the well. And they went through the wilderness area where John the Baptist had been baptizing many people. And evidently Jesus and His disciples were baptizing many people too because they got the attention of John's disciples and a dispute broke out over baptism. Now baptism had been long used even by pagan religions, but the Jews used baptism to signal conversion from paganism or whatever religion to Judaism. Certain groups of Jews also used baptism for ceremonial cleansing. John the Baptist baptized as a symbol and a gesture of The repentance of sin. So there were several uses of baptism. Now we really don't know what the dispute was, but the result of the dispute that came about was jealousy on the part of John's disciples. They went to John the Baptist and and they complained that more people were going to Jesus and His disciples than were coming to them. And John's reply was basically to resist negative thoughts. And we have to do the same thing. To resist negative thoughts when another church in our community is succeeding, we should rejoice that Jesus is being lifted up. Because it's not a competition. And so John the Baptist was telling his disciples, we're not in a competition. We are just to remain faithful. Do what the Lord has given us to do. And leave the results in His hands. And that's what he told them. John reminded his disciples that their purpose was to point people to Jesus, and that was being accomplished. And so this event right here that we're talking about marks the transition from John the Baptist's ministry to Jesus' ministry. And John's response to the negativity of his disciples was one of the greatest examples of humility in all of the Bible. Notice the comparisons that John the Baptist made of himself with Jesus, starting in verse 28. John was the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. John was the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. John was the lesser. Jesus is the greater. John was from the earth. Jesus is from heaven. John spoke words of the earth. Jesus speaks the words of God. John was human. Jesus is divine. There is no doubt in John the Baptist's mind about his position in relation to Jesus. No doubt. And as a result of that knowledge, he declared, He must become greater. I must become less. He must increase. I must decrease. That's a statement that many people don't make today. They won't make it. Because they refuse to admit their position in relation to Jesus. See, the truth is, He is Lord. We are not. The world says, no, you're Lord. You're Lord of your own life. You deserve everything that you want. You deserve to have somebody else's wife. You deserve to abuse people around you. You deserve anything you want, but that's not true. We have to resist that temptation to think we're Lord. We're not. Only He is. True followers of Jesus acknowledge that He is Lord of all and that we are subservient to Him. See, the world wants to twist that around, that everything is subservient to us. Whatever we want is what we deserve. But followers of Jesus acknowledge that He is Lord, and we are subservient to Him. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was supreme over everything. And His purpose in life was to point people to Jesus. That's my purpose too. That's my desire, is to point people Jesus. I hope that's your desire too. In the way you live, in the words that you use, that you point people beyond yourself to Jesus Christ. Well, why is Jesus supreme? I want to focus now on verses 31 through 36. And I I think it answers. Now, these words may have been spoken by John the Baptist. If you have the NIV, it has quotations as if John the Baptist is speaking these words, but it has a note there that this could be John the Apostle, John the author writing this. But it really doesn't matter because it's the same, no matter who said it. So why is Jesus supreme? Jesus is supreme, first of all, because of where He came from. Look in verse 31. The One who comes from above is above all. The One who comes from the earth belongs to the earth, and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Now one of John the Apostle's purposes in writing this gospel is to proclaim that Jesus is God's Son. The divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is supreme because He came from heaven. No one else can make that claim. No other religious leader this world has ever seen can make that claim that he came from heaven, but Jesus did. We saw in John 1 that everything that had been created was created by Jesus. And so the created cannot be greater than the Creator. And Jesus is the Creator of all. Everything. When I was in high school, I had a band director who would work out the drill. He would spend time on the field working with us. And then he would go up as high as he could so that he could see the whole field. He could see the drill taking place on the field. Deborah does this with her band. Even when Jason was in the Troy band, we'd go and watch. And the best place to watch is as high as you can get in the stadium because you can see everything as it takes place. Now, Jesus has a unique perspective in seeing everything because he comes from heaven. Now we don't know if heaven is up in the sky or where it is, but we refer to it as being up. But he has that perspective that he can see everything. He knows everything. Think about it another way. A helicopter pilot over the city of Atlanta, if you have to drive in Atlanta, bless you if you do, but you get a report from the helicopter, the news helicopter, giving you a report of here's some obstruction, here's some construction, you avoid these areas. Because that pilot has a perspective that you and I don't have. And we can listen. And we can avoid things if we do listen. And because of Jesus' perspective of seeing everything in our path from beginning to end, and again, not just because He's high up, but because of His divine knowledge He alone is capable of guiding and directing our steps because He sees it all. He sees what's ahead of us. And He can guide our step. And by His Spirit, He warns us of obstacles that are ahead. Jesus is supreme over all because He came from heaven. Well, secondly, Jesus is also supreme because of His divine testimony. Look at verse 32. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. Now, Jesus came into this world to testify to mankind about His Father in heaven. He came to tell us about God. The divine Son gives testimony about His Father. Who else can do that? Again, no one. Jesus comes from heaven. He comes from His Father to speak about His Father and to speak of His Father. John says in verse 32 that no one accepts His testimony. And that's just a literary overstatement. Because verse 33 acknowledges that people do accept it. It's like me standing here in church saying, no one comes to Sunday school and church anymore, when you're obviously sitting here in Sunday school and church. It's an overstatement. And then he says to those who have accepted Jesus' testimony, they have certified that God is truthful. Those who have listened and accepted Jesus' testimony, have certified that God is truthful. This means that when I accept Jesus' testimony about God, it's as if I put my seal on Jesus. I commit myself to Jesus and I certify that decision with belief. It's like my signature. Yes, I believe. And I certify that His testimony is true. All that Jesus says is true and trustworthy because of who He is and because of where He came from. Because see, if we listen to Jesus, He teaches us all we need to know about God and how to relate to God. He teaches us how to relate to fellow man if we would just listen. If all that you had was Jesus' words, you would know about God and you would know how to relate to your fellow man. But we resist it. We want to do things our own way. You know, we've just celebrated our independence as a nation. We want independence from God. But as I said last week, the greatest thing we could do is to declare our dependence on Him through Jesus. John the Baptist spoke about the words of God. The apostles spoke about the Word of God. All preachers, all teachers preach and teach about the words of God, but only Jesus speaks the words of God. Only Jesus does that. So I'd ask you, have you accepted Jesus' testimony? If not, why not? Everything that He says is divine testimony. And you can trust Him. Well, Jesus is supreme, not only because of where He came from, not only because of His divine testimony, but also Jesus is supreme because of His authority and power. Look in verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, God has placed everything in the hands of Jesus. How much is everything? It's everything. All that there is, all that we see in this created world, and all that we can't see beyond, everything is in the hands of Jesus Christ, including your life. If everything is in His hands, then your life is in His hands. That means your family is in His hands. That means your job is in his hands. That means your health is in His hands. Your sickness is in His hands. Do you trust Him with your sickness? Everything is in His hands. Your failures are in His hands. Your successes are in His hands. Your past, your present, your future... It's all in the hands of Jesus. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him enough to yield control of all of that into the hands of Jesus? Jesus has all authority and all power because God has given it to Him. And He's just waiting for you and for me to let that authority and power be used in our lives. He's waiting to unleash His authority and His power in our life. So do you trust Him to be the supreme authority in your life? If you do, you already have eternal life. You have it. Notice verse 35. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal Eternal life. That's not something in the future. It's yours right now. It's present tense. Whoever believes in his Son has eternal life. And because you have eternal life, you begin to experience the benefits of that right now. And that's where peace comes from. That's where joy comes from. That's where love comes from. That's where hope comes from, and purpose, and direction, and on and on. That's where all that comes from that eternal life that you have inside of you. But there's also a flip side to that. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now, not only do those who reject Jesus not have eternal life, but they will never see life. They'll never see full life in this world, nor eternal life in the world to come. They'll never see it, because God's wrath remains on them. Verse 36 is a restatement of verse 18. If you have that before you, 36 is restating what verse 18 is. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he is not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, the wrath remains. Condemnation remains. Have you ever noticed how close in proximity John 3:16 is with John 3:18? Verse 16 speaks of God's love. Verse 18 speaks of God's wrath. God's love and God's wrath right there back to back but it's because they're both part of God's nature. God's wrath and God's love. And that's why the cross is so significant. Because God's love and God's wrath are both seen on the cross. See, His wrath is a predetermined law. He, He has it in His character to hate sin. Because that is His character. Perfect. He is righteous. He is without sin, so He cannot coexist with sin. So He will do everything He can to do away with sin. It's like the law of gravity. We can debate it. We can uh, vote on it. We can break the law of gravity. But if I do that, that's going to happen every time. Let's take a vote. We're going to do away with gravity. But it's going to happen every time. Judy and I were working in the yard yesterday and we were trimming the shrubs. And I learned a long, long time ago that before you trim a shrub, what do you do? You check it for wasps. You shake that bush, you rake it, and you make sure that there are no wasps in there. I did find a couple. But see, there's something in that wasp's nature that will defend its nest. It will defend its creation, what it had created Don't you think God is the same way with His creation? Anything that is a threat to His creation, anything that disrupts His creation and fellowship with Him, anything that perverts that is sin. And God wants to do away with that. And and so God hates sin so much that He wants to eradicate it. But at the same time, God loves the world so much that He sent Jesus to eradicate sin from the life of everyone who believes. That's how we see God's wrath and God's love. Both because of His nature on the cross. God hates sin so much that He wants to do away with it, but He loves the world so much that He sent Jesus to take the condemnation that we deserve because of our sin. At the end of time, there will only be two groups of people. We won't be separated by Methodist and Baptist or conservative and uh, liberal. We won't be separated by Democrat or Republican or nation. There will be two groups of people. Those who believe what God said, that Jesus has taken care of your sin. And those who don't believe. Those two groups. And Jesus tells us that in His testimony, His teaching. When the tares grow up with the wheat, He said, leave it. And then at the end of time, I'll separate. Leave it to me. Our job now is just love all people. He'll take care of the separation. Two groups of people. Those who believe Jesus and those who don't. Do you stand and live in belief, or do you stand in unbelief? See, Jesus is supreme over all the world, but He's not supreme in your life until you invite Him to be supreme. It's your choice. It's my choice. And we do that by faith, not by understanding, but by faith that Jesus is everything God said He is. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. What a blessed Word it is. We thank You for the testimony of Jesus. Lord, I thank You for Your Spirit that helps us to understand and to see, to accept, to move us to make us what You want us to be. And I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would work in every heart here today. And the purpose of that is that Jesus would be glorified in the lives that we live. In front of our families, in front of our co-workers, in front of our co-students, in front of people that we don't even know. Lord, that Jesus would be glorified in us. And so, Lord, however You are leading Individuals, I pray, Lord, that You would lead them to faith. Lead us to deeper faith. Help us to take another step. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.